Welcome back, everybody, to the Caught Red Podcast. We are your host. I am Megan Light. And I'm Jesse Light. And we are just two dog lovers here to talk about some true crime, horror movies, and then, of course, our dogs, who are doing very good post-dinner right now. Well, They, they weren't for a second there. I know. Ripley was getting hyped. And then Mowgli, bless his heart. He has an itchy face. Poor guy. I hope he gets more pills at the vet next week. Yeah, the vet's going to get him all straightened out. It's fine. And poor buddy. Oh, I have been giving him, like she told me, like uh, fish oils, omega-3s. He's supposed to help with itching, but I don't really think it does too much without that extra little medication that she had prescribed. Because he, he just rubs his face on everything. He's just got allergies 24-7, 365. Yep. Just like his uh, shedding capabilities as well. Yes. God. So much hair in our house. We rearranged our living room. And oh my God, the amount of hair that was stuck behind the TV stand. Oh, I can imagine. Ridiculous. I can only reach back so far with the broom. Yeah, you can't. But when I moved that thing, gosh, there was a whole dog behind there. You just saying that because I want to bring home another dog. No, I ain't saying Winnie. That. Winnie Joe is this 15-year-old uh, Rottweiler at the Little Rock Animal Village here in Arkansas. And her owner passed away, and so she was surrendered to the shelter. And she just needs somewhere to crash for her last few golden years or who knows how long she'll live you know she's gonna outlive us all probably she's so cute if i had not seen rottweiler in the listing by looking at her you wouldn't have thought that was her breed she almost looks part like australian shepherd yeah i said betsy needed to take her home because she looks like frankie to me oh but she said no as well jesse tells me no a lot he said no for winnie too but that's it's fine. I'm just going to end up coming home one day with the puppy that I find on the side of the road. I said no to her earlier, too. So we were eating with her parents, and afterwards she wanted to go over there to Ross. Oh, I was going to go, but then I thought, no, we got to record. It's like, fine. Hello, it's, it's getting late. I got to record, got to edit, got to do all this fun stuff. So Sorry. You can go to Ross tomorrow. I'm going to. Now <laughs> but, it's in my mind. I got to go. <laughs> And I was looking at uh, books a million across the way, and I was like, no, I've got, I've got enough books on my nightstand. I read What Lies in the Woods by Kate Marshall. That was really good if anybody's looking for a recommendation. I just finished The Island by Adrian McKinty. That was really good as well. I don't want to talk too much about it because they'll give it away. Just go on Amazon and look these names up. I've just started Pretty Girls by Karen Slaughter. That's the one Jill sent me in our little box. And then I sent her the Final Girls support group. If anybody wants to do a book exchange, hit me up. I've got plenty that need homes. That's and I'll take you. whatever. That's yeah, that's all, all me. <laughs> Jesse's had the same, like, two books on his little side table for, like, two years now. I'm going to get to them eventually. Whatever. i got too many shows to watch. That's true. We watched, speaking of, we watched Dante's Peak the other day, because that's always a good one. Classic. I love that one. I did put on Where the Crawdads Sing, and I've been saying that I want to read the book, and I will eventually. It's just kind of like now knocked down the list a little bit since we watched the movie. Excuse you, Ripley. But it's on Netflix, 
And uh, if y'all haven't seen it, it's a little over two hours long. It kind of is a little slow moving, in the, but there's a lot that they put in the movie. And people in my book group have said that it's really similar to the book, the way that it's the movie was written out. But I have to say it had one of the best twist endings that I've had in a movie in a really long time. Yeah, we kind of just went away from horror movies this week. I watched The Whale with Brendan Fraser. That was pretty amazing. Was it really good? Very good acting. And it's, God, it was really emotional. Very sad. But, yeah. Well, we no blood and guts tried like you watching, like. But. Tried watching Knock at the Cabin, and I fell asleep. And then it was just... it. it the, the trailer... That's all you need to know. Watch the trailer. Really? You've watched the movie pretty much. What What is M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong doing? Because he had, <laughs> you know, The Sixth Sense was great. I liked Split and um, what's the other one? Unbreakable and Glass. It's like your dad said. They just run out of ideas on movies. Signs was great. I love Signs. That was, Knock at the Cabin was based off a book too, right? It was. And uh, my cousin, Kara, gave me the book version. So I'll, I'm going to read it. Because I know it's got, it's got to be better than that movie was. And I didn't even watch the whole movie because I slept. A lot of the stuff in the middle was just so slow. Filler. Fillers, yes. A lot of just stuff that wasn't necessary. Now, mm-hmm. there, there was good acting. I'll give them that, but... But, but boring. Yeah. Hmm. Well, if you need something to pass the time, on Wednesday, March 1st, there is this... Uh, mystery box account i think jesse i think you just like came across it one day and it's called who's next mystery box they're going to release their first one so we gotta get that oh yeah and then we did another deadbolt mystery box last week or the week before and it was a conspiracy one and that was pretty tough but i liked it i'm hooked on those Those i am too i've got i got another one in the cart because we have one on the table that we'll do but we always need to have like another backup and it's the one that's called Blackout when the guy can't remember what happened to him and we have to like go through his pockets and stuff. Ah, like the Liam Neeson movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if y'all like something to do in your like free time or like date night or something, they're really fun. These little mystery boxes, everything you need is right there. Because we suck at like thousand piece puzzles. So we'd rather do this stuff. Well, I mean, it's not that we (laughs) suck at puzzles, but we have the one dining room table and that's the catch-all. We do our laundry on it. There's always a cat on it. Like we can't leave a puzzle unfinished, unglued. And when we get done and there's like 999 pieces. And Falco ate the last one. Yes. Like he did when he was a (laughs) baby with that Harry Potter puzzle. Yes. We're like, we're done. Oh no. And then we found like a moist piece on the ground and then we can't find the last (laughs) one. So we knew baby Falco ate a puzzle piece. Jesse has our case for today. I looked up a little bit just to like try to help him last night, but I don't really know the gist of it. I do know it is sports-esque. Sports-esque. Related, yes. It's golf, his favorite thing in this whole world. Still, It's still ongoing. So. Okay. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Do it, love. So the sources for this are si.com, 11alive.com, wtvm.com, ajc.com, lawandcrime.com, and fox5atlanta.com. 
before you get started? Yeah. Mom just said, complete chaos when we got home. Damn it, Eugene. Damn it, Eugene. They got home fast. Mm -hmm. Well, the case that I've got for you today is definitely a wrong place, wrong time type of situation if I've ever seen one. It legitimately could have been any one of probably a hundred or so people that could have met the same fate as what our victim today met. But this victim in particular, he had a job to do and he was doing just that, a job that he loved, a job that he chose to pursue midlife, even with a college degree for a field completely different from this one. That's common. Yeah. Well, he followed his dream. He was just trying to do his job and he got killed. It wasn't the type of job that would get him killed either. Nothing dangerous about it. Just literally wrong place, wrong time. Just goes to show that anything can happen to you at any time. Life is precious. You just never know when your last day will be. When your loved one leaves for work, tell them you love them. Don't ever leave the house on a bad note if you can avoid it. That's good advice. See, Gene Siller was a golf pro. Now, this involves managing a country club, organizing tournaments, and instructing other golfers. That's all he's ever wanted to do. Really? I think the most trouble he'd run into on any given day before this would, would have been just a couple golfers that had too many beers or telling someone it's cart path only that day after it had rained. And you see like players out there driving in the grass and ruining the fairway or telling some players with bad golf etiquette to fix their divots, you know, just ordinary golf stuff. Basic bitch golf moves. Yeah. Or like having to tell some guys that they couldn't play with five players in a group because it would slow down the pace of play. I'm sure that happens all the time. You know, sometimes me and four of my buddies will go play and only four are allowed to play in a group. So Three of us will tee off together, and then the two behind us will tee off, and then... You play in the system. We'll just meet up on the second hole and play together the rest of the way whenever they can't see you from the pro shop. Y'all are such bad boys. <laughs> I'm sure it happens more times than not, but we're actually pretty fast. Of course, nowadays, they got GPS on all the golf carts so they can see where everybody is at all times, so they kind of... At least the fancier private courses do that. I was about to say, I don't know about nutters out here. Yeah, no. No, they don't care. <laughs> no. So his real name was Eugene. No! I swear. Damn it, Eugene. <laughs> yeah, but everybody called him Gene, so that's what we're going to call him. And he wasn't and he, he wasn't a Eugene like the other Eugenes in our he past episodes. He was a dumbass. Correct. <laughs> I swear. Gene Siller grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, within walking distance of the Clovernook Country Club. And as a kid, he spent a lot of his time searching the golf course for golf balls that he'd give to his grandfather for spare change. He knew the best places to find balls whenever players would slice it or hook it into the trees or the ponds, he'd know exactly where to go. And he'd keep some of these balls for himself to practice in his backyard. And when he got big enough to play on the course... He joined his dad, also named Gene, on Sundays. So this just reminds me of my mom and my dad. They used to have a condo in Branson. I was about to say, 
And it was on a golf course called Thousand Hills. And every time the sun started to go down and the players were finished golfing, they'd go down to the course with their backpacks ready to go golf ball hunting. (laughs) And they would know the best places where all the golf balls would huddle up. They'd find like hundreds just right in the same spot, just like in a dried up creek bed or they'd get stuck in a creek bed and you could just pick them all up right there. And they've got... God, they've got enough balls that they'd never have to buy another ball again. I was going to yeah. And then I got them on my wall, all the cool logo ones. Mm-hmm. And I played golf from a young young age just like Gene, but I never considered myself very good. I was a lefty, and I'd always have this pretty bad slice. It'd go off to the left into the trees. I played in high school, and my team actually won three state championships. Did you know that? I didn't know you played in high school. Yeah, but those three championships didn't really have anything to do with me. So You were just along for the ride. Pretty much. <laughs> I, I was like maybe seventh or eighth man out of nine. We had a couple guys that probably could have played go- college golf. I know one played at uh, University of Central Arkansas, probably on the same level as Gene. Gene won a tournament when he was just under 11 years old, which is pretty impressive. He played on his high school team, too, and he was never able to earn himself a college scholarship from it, but he was still a good player. He was good, but not that good at the time. As is the case with most things, you just have to get better with age. And golf, it's got to be the most frustrating game there is, in my opinion. So he turned his focus from golf to his education, where he had a bright future in that as well. He graduated from Purdue University with a degree in mechanical engineering. Damn. And he got a job there in Indianapolis. And he developed five patents related to emergency exit alarms. Oh, that's really cool. I feel like anybody that comes up with five different patents for something's got to be pretty smart. Right. I mean, impressive. Even though he was busy with his mechanical engineering job, he still found time to play golf. His favorite course was called The Fort. It was on the east side of Indianapolis. And it's a pretty course. I did the whole course tour on the website. I was going to say, is it added to a list that you've got going? It is. It's pretty. So I guess if we're ever in Indianapolis, I'll have to book a tea time and you can just drive the cart and listen to murders. That's fine with me. Yeah. Kendall? Golf cart, murders in my ears. Sounds good. Eventually, though, golf was all Gene could think about. Eat, sleep, and golf. And he got pretty dang good at it, too. He won the club championship, and he started to get recognition for his skills. People started asking him if he would give lessons. And he thought to himself, you know, maybe there's a future in golf after all. And being the outdoorsy person that he was, he felt like, His office job that he had at the time was never really the place for him. There was no windows in his office or anything. He's just shut in. Doesn't sound fun. So he needed to go to his happy place. He started out as an assistant pro in 2003. He gave up his stable, well-paying job for the opportunity to be around the game he truly loved. It was by far less pay Longer hours, sometimes in the very hot or very cold weather or in the rain. But he'd get to organize tournaments and he'd get to teach young golfers how to drive for show and putt for dough. 
And that's what he loved, helping people, especially younger kids. And he took his father's advice. You don't want to sit back and in 20 years wonder, boy, could I have made it as a golf pro? In 2007, golf brought Gene to Georgia. He took a similar job that he had in Indianapolis, this time at St. Ives Country Club. Part of his job was to go to expo events and promote his summer golf lessons to parents in the area. And a woman named Ashley Bonight was at a booth next to him promoting cheerleading camps. She was a student at Georgia. And I don't know who made the first move, but Ashley knew pretty fast that he was the one. Aww. Even with his interesting style and clothes. Oh, no. Like John Daly? I don't know if it was that bad. I okay. mean, you know golfers are known to wear, like, bright colors. Uh-huh. So I'm sure he probably just had on something crazy. But on their first date, he had on penny loafers and a white cashmere sweater. So What? <laughs> yeah. And two weeks after their first date, she promised herself that she would someday marry him. That's pretty fast. That's probably, was that faster than us? I don't, I don't know. know. You tell me. You left <laughs> me hanging after our first date. Whatever. I gave her a side hug. He didn't want to go out to eat with me. He wanted to go play golf <laughs> with his buddies. I was like, all right, cool, man. Bye. Whatever. We could have had a... Rom romance that was budding even sooner than it did. Well, back to Jean. They ended up getting married two years later. In 2014, their firstborn child came into the picture. His name was Bo. A year later, Banks was born. Two boys that would grow up playing golf with their dad as much as possible. Now, Ashley had family all over Georgia, and Jean promised her that they'd always remain close to them even if that meant it limited his upside in his golf career. See, Gene was a Purdue Boilermaker fan, but over time he became a Georgia Bulldog fan, much to the delight of Ashley. Now, there were still plenty of suitors for a head golf professional. He was head pro for one small course in Georgia, but it required like 80-hour weeks, and he didn't want to put all the household responsibilities on Ashley, who also had a full-time job. He wanted to be able to see his kids, so as soon as that country club had a new owner take over, Gene decided to quit. And he was, for a little while, he was a stay-at-home dad until he found what, what could fit, pretty much. And he got his wish in the summer of 2019. Pine Tree Country Club in Kennesaw, Georgia, was searching for a new head golf pro, and they gave Gene a call. Brad Nycomb was the general manager of Pine Tree Country Club, and he was a Florida State teammate of Paul Azinger, who was a PGA champion and a 12-time PGA Tour winner. So I thought that was pretty cool. Megan's over here falling asleep. I'm like, what? <laughs> who? I'm listening. I'm here. Yeah. Well, Pine Tree Country Club opened in 1962 and is considered one of the better private courses in Georgia. Legends like Arnold Palmer, Bobby Jones, and Sam Sneed have played there. You know who Arnold Palmer is, right? I do, because it's a drink. Yes. We serve it at the restaurant quite often. Really? Mm-hmm. Sweet tea and lemonade. Yeah. Now, obviously, Gene accepted this new position, and I don't see why he wouldn't. It had to be better than that office with no windows that he had with his engineering job. 
Gene gave life to this old pro shop that seemed to need a little boost. He stocked the pro shop with his favorite Puma gear and made sure that there were plenty of bright colored shirts on the shelves. He began organizing tournaments and the door to his office was always open. All 550 members knew if they had a question, they could come to him. He was always willing to listen to anyone struggling with their swing or anyone critiquing playing conditions. And since he didn't have crazy hours, he was able to take the boys to school in the mornings and play golf with them on Sundays and do stuff around the house on Mondays. Stuff he would have never been able to do with his engineering job. Mm -hmm. Ashley said that the pine tree job made their marriage beautiful and life was so good. Fast forward to July of 2021. 46-year-old Gene and his family were coming home from a big family vacation in South Carolina where they rented a beach house for the week for a dozen family members. Things were going so good for the family. Ashley was excelling in her corporate sales job for AT&T. Gene had his dream job, and the kids were healthy and coming into their own. Their son, Bo, was a lot like Ashley, and Banks was Gene's mini-me. When they got back home... Gene was technically still on vacation, but he wanted to go by the country club to check on things and make sure they didn't need any help. It was July 3rd, and they were having their annual 4th of July celebration the next day. It was an hour-long commute from their home, but Gene arrived early that morning wearing red pants with a matching American flag polo shirt. Yes. 9 a.m. and the place was already starting to buzz. Families piling in to get the best lawn chairs by the swimming pools, workers setting up tables for the dinner buffet later that evening, golfers warming up on the practice, putting and chipping greens and hitting bombs at the driving range. Gene chatted with the assistant pro, Tanner Farr, in the pro shop. He was giving Tanner advice in his progression in the PGA management program and telling him to keep up the good work and to not give up. A couple hours later, Harrison Bryant, who was another assistant, stepped in to man the shop at 2 p.m. Bryant was the one who saw something strange going on as he looked out the window behind the register. From that vantage point, you could see the 10th hole from a distance. He saw a white Dodge Ram 3500 driving across the fairway. What? At first... He didn't think anything of it. He figured it was just part of the fireworks crew getting things delivered early. But when he looked back over there a second time after answering a phone call, he noticed that same truck was now stuck on the ledge of a sand trap near the green on the 10th hole. That's a big truck, too, looking at the oh, picture yeah. of it. That's a big old truck. Yeah, 3,500. That's one of the biggest ones, probably. Shit. Now, Brian let Gene know what he saw, and Gene grabbed a golf cart and headed in the direction of the white truck on the 10th hole. It was strange for sure, but nothing completely out of the ordinary for Gene to see. He had to run off teenagers fishing in the ponds from time to time. It was definitely weird for a vehicle to be out on the course, though. That's just kind of strange. Bryant was watching from the pro shop with binoculars. It all happened so fast. Bryant answered another phone call, and when he looked back over, Gene was lying down on the ground, not moving. What? Chaos ensued. Members who were out on the driving range ran inside and yelled for Bryant to call 911. The members had heard five or six gunshots and then saw Gene fall. 
They watched as the shooter abandoned the truck and sprinted into the woods near the 10th hole. What? Yeah. Loretta Byrne, who was a club member, had just ordered her lunch in the small restaurant attached to the pro shop. She saw the truck and she heard the shouts from the range after the gunshots. And she was a nurse by profession, so as fast as she could, she found a golf cart and hurried to the scene of the crime. Gene was lying there, still on his back. The engine of the truck was still running. She rolled Gene's body over and saw that he had been shot through the neck and through the back of the head. Oh, my God. He had no pulse and looked like there was no way he would be coming back from that. I give her props for, like, that first responder's instinct just to go. Because, I mean, she didn't know that there wasn't the shooter around. Even with the gunshots, yeah. Right, she went to do her job. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. I give her mad props. Definitely. And she still administered CPR along with another golfer taking turns with her, and they kept it up until police arrived to the scene. Everyone at Pine Tree was just stunned. They couldn't believe what just went down. Bryant was in the pro shop just thinking how it very easily could have been him to go out there instead of Gene, and he felt kind of guilty. It could have been anybody, really. Such an unfortunate situation. Like, why did it happen? Yeah, it's such a random, unfortunate situation. Yeah. What, what made him shoot Gene? I mean, did they have an argument that got out of control? I don't... It's crazy. Even then, it's, it's a golf course. What could they have been so heated about? Yeah. Unless the guy was like some drunkard and was just like, you know, getting mad because he's getting yelled at or something. But other, like, why would you get to that extreme point that you shoot somebody? Very strange. And the general manager, Brad Nycombe, was in the process of calling everything off for that night and the next day. I mean, he didn't want these well, yeah. people showing up at the golf course after With this. With blood-stained grass. Yeah. And during this time, he received a phone call that he had to answer. It was Ashley Siller. She had received a text from somebody that said her husband had been shot, and she didn't know the extent of it, but she was panicking. She was trying to get a hold of anybody, and luckily she found his number. He asked Ashley, what do you know? And she said, I know Gene has been shot. That's all I know. Is he alive? Is he alive? Nikom didn't want to be but he had to be the one to tell her, no, I'm so sorry. Which, that's a terrible that's situation horrible. to be in, especially over the phone like that. I can't imagine. I hate imagine. that she got a text that was just like, your husband's been shot. What? Yeah, but luckily her father was with her. So he drove as quickly as he could with Ashley in the passenger seat as they took that same Hour-long route that Gene took every morning to work. That'd be the longest hour drive. Yeah, it would. They got to Pine Tree, and Ashley wanted so bad just to sprint past the police to find Gene and just pray that Nikon was wrong and that Gene was still alive. And Miss Labretta Byrne, the nurse mm-hmm. that performed the CPR, she stopped Ashley. She didn't want her to see what she had seen. She didn't want... Ashley's last visual of Jean being that awful picture that she saw on the 10th green. That's something that she would probably never get out of her head if she Mm -mm. was to see something like that. 
Eventually, though, Ashley was able to walk to the back of this clubhouse on the second level that had a good view of the crime scene from a distance. There was a man laying out on the ground there with red pants, and she knew that that was her what husband, he Gene. Yeah, she remembered what he was wearing that morning. Now, the 10th hole is like a slight dog leg left, par four. It's like 418 yards from the championship tees. Okay. The right side of the green is protected by a large pond and a couple of sand traps. And Ashley could see from there the white pickup truck stuck on the lip of one of those bunkers. It didn't really make sense. Like, was this driver trying to drive the truck into the pond? I don't know. what. Why was it on the golf course? Like maybe he was trying to cut through and then didn't realize that it was a golf course and tried to get back out of it and got stuck in a sand trap. But why? It's, I don't the know. cops weren't chasing him or anything. Like, I don't know. You don't have GPS on your phone or something? I don't want to talk about that. Why? Because it just makes me think of, like, our customers will be like, well, how do I get there? And I'm like, you had to Google our number. Oh, yeah. Our address right. is right there. Right. I can't imagine what Ashley was going through. I'm sure she was just at a loss and in complete shock. And how was she supposed to tell her boys later that night, too, what happened? You can't just tell them their daddy was on vacation. They were still so young but old enough to understand. So I'd imagine it'd probably end up being the toughest thing she had ever had to do. But she did. She told them the truth. She let them know that their daddy was gone and he wasn't going to be coming back, but that he was in a better place and that they'd see him again one day. They wouldn't get to play golf with him every Sunday. He wouldn't get to teach them everything he knew about the sport. They wouldn't get to wait for him by the door when he got home from work. And it really is just so sad and unfair. I've played so many rounds of golf with my dad, and I look forward to every opportunity I get to play with him. It's just, that's crazy. And that night... All Bo wanted to do was just stare at the iPad and look at the screensaver that had a picture of his dad on there. Hmm. And Banks had tears in his eyes and kept asking about the bad guy that did that to his dad. Who was he and would they catch him? And of course, Ashley told him that the police were doing everything that they could to arrest the bad guy and that he didn't need to worry. That was the police's job, and everyone else's job was to remember the amazing person that their father was and all the good he did in the world while he was alive. Police were working hard to find the driver of the white Dodge Ram 3500. The suspect was reportedly a Hispanic male with a dark complexion, 6'1", and 170 pounds. Suspect was also reported as having long hair. He was last seen wearing a white t-shirt and dark work pants. He was last seen at the Pine Tree Country Club headed towards Frey Lake Road. And then he was seen on Club Drive headed towards Shiloh Road, and he was considered armed and dangerous. Now, what I didn't mention earlier was that Gene was not the only victim. Police found two men dead in the bed of the truck as well. Shit. They were gagged and bound with duct tape and zip ties, and they were later identified as 76-year-old Paul Pearson and 46-year-old Henry Valdez. Valdez was shot in the head, and Pearson was shot in the back, butt, leg, and arms. Damn. 
So it turned out Gene was witness to a crime and was killed for it. He saw the face of the driver, and the driver wasn't going to let him live to tell anyone. So were the other two men shot on the course? Yeah, I and think then he so. was shot. So that's why there was like five or six yeah. gunshots. Yeah. Okay, because you only mentioned the one in his neck and then his head, right? Mm-hmm. I was wondering about that. So literally, wrong place, wrong, wrong time. time. There was no connection between Gene and the shooter other than that very moment. In the early morning hours of July 4th, so that was that night, around 1.54 a.m., a 23-year-old man named Brian Roden was booked after a traffic stop. Chambly police officers pulled him over in DeKalb County, headed northbound on Peachtree Road because he had his lights off. So that's about 25 miles from the country club. Okay. He was driving a black 2017 Maserati Ghibli. Maserati? Yeah, I looked it up. These cars are expensive. Yeah, a Maserati? 70 plus thousand. God, did he steal it? Well, I don't know if he stole it, but it didn't have the right license plate on it. He stole it. Yeah. The police found a large amount of cash in there, too. $11,762 to be exact. They found jewelry and multiple ID cards. He claimed that they were just props for a music video. See, Brian Roden was an up-and-coming rapper. His rapper name was B-Rod. He has a little over 16,000 followers on Instagram. I instantly thought of B-Rad from Malibu's Most Wanted when he said (laughs) (laughs) B-Rod. Now, Rodin, he was pretty polite while he was being detained. Yes, sir. No, sir. And he didn't resist arrest, and he really didn't put up much of an argument. He just seemed very nervous and couldn't provide them with his Georgia license. He said he had left it at home. He lived in Atlanta in, like, these high-rise condos. And he attempted to bribe the officers with the money. Well, he was like, he knew there was money, but he was like, there's no money, you know, Oh, there's wink, wink. Wink, wink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No money. I just want to go home. Well, you're just going to get booked on more charges for trying to bribe the officers. Yeah, the the officers, I was watching the video. They were not having it. They're like, (laughs) no, I'm pretty sure there's money over there. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, we do not pick up what you're throwing. Yeah, not at all. Well, he didn't get to go home. And after conducting a series of field sobriety tests, he was taken into custody Arrest information attached to the booking report indicated that Roden was suspected of six charges. Those six charges were DUI, driving an unregistered vehicle, carrying a false identification document, operating a vehicle without insurance, acquiring a license plate for the purpose of concealing the identification of a motor vehicle, and the headlight violation. But all those were misdemeanors. He was held at the station till he paid bail on July 6th at around 8.35 p.m. And it took authorities some time to realize that Roden was allegedly linked to the golf course murders. So he was looking to get his money back from the station, right? Mm-hmm. $11,000, I'd imagine. And when he arrived at the station on July 8th at 5.30, the Southeast Regional Fugitive Task Force took him into custody. This time, he was held without bond. He didn't necessarily turn himself in, but he was described as unarmed and arrested without incident. 
And I don't know exactly what led them to believe Brian Roden was the man that killed Gene I was going to ask if you knew what linked him to the golf course yet. Here's, yeah. Well, it might be coming out in the trial. I guess, yeah. I mean, he knew the two guys in the truck. Obviously, he didn't know who Gene Siller was. He has a connection to them, and I'll tell you here in a minute. But here's some of what I've learned about Brian Roden. This wasn't his first run-in with the law either. Somehow, though, he keeps getting off scot-free. In 2016, Brian Roden was a freshman at Georgia State University. He was arrested in a shooting in the parking lot of a residence hall there at Georgia State. He was 18 years old at the time. He shot 19-year-old Shelton Flournoy three times with his Glock 40 while attempting to sell him and his passenger in the vehicle drugs. Shut up. Yeah. And he's just out. He never went in. Well, he probably did go in. But And see, Roden was shot once in the chest also with Flournoy's 22 caliber handgun. Georgia State Police said they recovered a gun and a large amount of marijuana from Roden's backpack. According to Fulton County District Attorney, the decision was made not to proceed with prosecution. Oh, did he try to use like a self-defense thing? I'm not sure what the hell happened. Because he got shot too. Yeah, but, but that's a- you're out there selling drugs in a parking lot at a, at a university, like... Not sure exactly what happened there, but he did have the high-profile lawyer that I'll talk about later, Bruce Harvey. But let's just let this criminal walk our streets free. It's Mm -hmm. fine. In 2020, Atlanta police seized more than $19,000 in suspected drug money from Rodin at uh, the, the international airport there. What? He was boarding a plane to Los Angeles, and another agency had tipped him off about his suspected drug activity. Canine units detected the smell of marijuana on the money. Rodin allegedly punched a drug unit officer while trying to get away. Oh, my God. He was charged with simple battery on police and obstructing an officer. And then he was released on $7,500 bond and entered a no plea guilty. (laughs) And entered a not guilty plea. Love. I'm sorry. That case is still pending. Uh, he ended up forfeiting the money, nineteen thousand dollars. God, what's like? You you get caught with the nineteen thousand, but then you only have to pay like seventy five hundred in your bail. That's yeah, a crock of shit. You're down twenty six hundred or twenty six thousand bucks, bro. What? And then he was also arrested in Indiana for leading police on a high-speed chase that reached speeds of up to 150 miles per hour. Dude. Dude, yeah. Is that that Maserati? I don't think so. So, yeah. Nissan Ultima? (laughs) (laughs) It's always a Nissan Ultima. So, yeah, he's got quite the rap sheet. But what connected him to the golf course besides his physical description? I mean... He was dark-complected, 6'1", 175-pound man, I guess. I mean, there had to have been a lot of people that saw him yeah. running into the woods, so I guess they got a good look at him. Bryant had the binoculars. Who knows? Yeah, could have had a sketch or something that went out. Uh-huh. So since the case was still ongoing and the trial has yet to really get started, police were not 
giving out much information to the public. Chief Tim Cox of the Cobb County Police Department said in a news conference that Roden was being charged with three counts of murder, three counts of aggravated assault, and two counts of kidnapping. He said, His name came up within a few days. The investigation is still open. I realize that some members of the community felt some frustration due to the limited information that has been released to date. He said he was most worried about providing justice to the victim's families, that his number one goal was a successful prosecution, which oftentimes takes time and holding some information close to the vest. Do we know if he was driving the truck on the course? Roden? Yeah. Yeah, he, he was the driver. He was the driver, so maybe yeah. they got his fingerprints as well. Oh, that's or very other, possible, Or too, other DNA. Yeah. He's got priors, so they've uh-huh. got that. That's a good point. What we do know is that Roden had a connection to the two men that were tied up in the back of the truck. Valdez was a California-based cannabis broker who worked with a very small circle of people that he trusted, Roden being one of those people. Valdez had an Orange County dispensary named Hope for Humanity. Valdez didn't have a clean record either. He had served jail time following a 2004 arrest in Illinois for manufacturing and distributing more than 5,000 grams of marijuana. So yeah, back in 2005, or 2004, you, you can't do that, bro. No. Paul Pearson, which is just crazy to me. This dude's 76 years old. Like, and just out what there fucking around. <laughs> Hanging out with this crowd like that, man. Ugh. He was from Topeka, Kansas. He was a longtime associate of Valdez, who had also had previous dealings with Roden. So this very well could have been a drug deal gone bad or something. For sure. It had to have been. Or Roden was just going to rob him and be done with it, and they start fighting, you know. Yeah. But how they all ended up at the golf course is just... Yeah, that is very strange. So strange. The warrant for Roden revealed that the Dodge Ram truck was owned by Paul Pearson and had Kansas plates. Police believe that Roden kidnapped Henry Valdez and Paul Pearson at a warehouse on Jonesboro Road in Clayton County. And that's like a 40-minute drive. Okay. I still don't understand why. What, what led him to <laughs> yeah. the golf course? Yeah. Police also believe that Roden had help. A warrant for the arrest of a man named Justin Caleb Pruitt was issued in relation to the case. As far as I know, he was being held at the Alvin Glenn Detention Center in Columbia, South Carolina, on two charges of trafficking cocaine, which is a completely different incident. His drug charges came from a South Carolina state grand jury investigation that resulted in the indictment of 13 people. Wow. He was being held there without bond. He was accused of kidnapping Paul Pearson and Henry Valdez. Justin Pruitt was indicted on two counts of felony murder and two counts of kidnapping with bodily injury. Now, I never saw a report of two men fleeing the scene of the crime by Mm -hmm. any of the witnesses, but it sounds like he was in the passenger seat. So I guess he... And then he had gotten away and then he got picked up in South Carolina? Yeah. For cocaine? Yes. Well, if you knew you're on the run, 
Why you do more dumb shit? <laughs> That's just what they do. 26-year-old Taylor Nicole Cameron was also being charged with criminal attempt to commit tampering with evidence. Investigators alleged that she retrieved the murder weapon from Rodin to either hide it or get rid of it. In court documents filed, investigators describe a text conversation from the day of the murders between Cameron and Brian Rodin. It's unclear if Cameron ever made it to the golf course, but authorities said the evidence showed that she planned to drive to the 10th hole where Rodin told her he had tried to hide the gun before fleeing the scene. Like digging it in the sand trap and... <laughs> or throwing it in the pond, maybe? Or something. Or in the woods somewhere. But it sounds like he hid it and told her to go pick it up for him. Maybe the golf course was some middle ground between all these people or or maybe there was somebody that the other two men had planned on meeting at that 4th of July shenanigans at the golf course. And then Brian was like, yeah, I'll come along. And then maybe he saw like an opportunity to make more money or steal the drugs or something and then just shit hit the fan. Because I'm, yeah, I'm still baffled by like why they were. Why there? There. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's fine. I'm just trying to think. I don't. It's it's, it's, it's very strange. Because the, it's like a dead end road where their truck would have gone, would have come from. Mm-hmm. That would lead to like the 10th and 11th cart path. So I don't know where he was thinking he was going to go. In August 2021, Brian Roden appeared for the first time before a Supreme Court judge. The hearing was held before Superior Court Judge Robert Flournoy. He was 70 at the time and was planning to retire at the end of the year in 2022. So he was to be replaced by Sonia Brown. And me and Megan watched part of this hearing. I listened. Yeah, she listened. I watched. I had Outer Banks on, but I was also listening. (laughs) It was less than 40 minutes. There wasn't much going on. But prosecutors would seek the death penalty on Rodin. And this would be the first death penalty case in Cobb County since 2016. Uh, Jamal Hunter was accused of raping and killing his 14-year-old stepdaughter before burning the house in an attempt to hide his crime. What? Yeah, so you might want to look that one up. Jesus Christ. Bruce Harvey was originally supposed to represent Rodin. He represented him back in 2016 for what happened at Georgia State University. And for some reason, he formally withdrew as his lawyer during the proceedings. And me and Megan were talking. We think it was due to the prosecutor seeking the death penalty, but we're not 100% sure. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Or maybe it was one of those things that, like, attorney-client have to have a trust, and maybe Brian was lying to him or was manipulating the truth or him himself, like, manipulating the lawyer. Or like we said, maybe Harvey, who's this high-profile lawyer, didn't want to... Lose. Lose. (laughs) Lose a case. Yeah, maybe he didn't want this in Cobb County where... Well, I was Googling around and I couldn't find the reason. All I could find was that withdrawal. Yeah. So maybe once trial proceeds on and concludes, maybe yeah. more will come out about him in general. Maybe he'll come out and speak. So Harvey's this flashy, 
high-profile lawyer with this long braided ponytail and tattoos, and he did this. He was the in the defense attorneys for the Ray Lewis trial, the Baltimore Ravens linebacker who was I'm up sorry. for murder. No, no, I'm sure somebody will know that one. I'll, I'll have to Google that as well. Anyways, Ray Lewis got off free on that one. Capitol defenders Joshua Moore and Emily Prokesh took his place and told the judge that their client would plead not guilty. And although he didn't speak at the hearing, Rodin had someone post on his Instagram on his behalf. Contrary to the plethora of prejudicial publicity, the allegations made against me are erroneous. The reports about me are false and there are blatant and utter attempts to assassinate and deplete my character and that of others. Please keep an open mind. That was on Instagram. Rodin's. Yeah, I think his manager put that up. Yeah, because I don't sound like that's way too articulate for this guy. It does. That's a lot of big words. I know I was slipping on them. <laughs> Ashley Siller was sitting in the front row of the courtroom alongside several family members. And I'm sure Ashley wanted to see justice be had for what happened to her husband and the father of her boys. She said, I don't hate anybody, but I loathe Rodin with every ounce of my soul. It's okay, girl. You can say hate. Yeah, it's fine. Even with that disdain, though, she didn't want to let that negativity fuel her going forward. She refused to let what happened define Jean's legacy. She wanted to live the rest of her life trying to show her boys and the world how great of a person Jean was. Of course, it was going to be hard going forward. Everything she saw would remind her of him. Once that initial shock wore off, she knew, though, that she had to put all her energy she had into something really productive and really powerful that would impact as many people as possible. In August, she got together with Pine Tree Country Club to host the Gene Siller Red Pants Memorial Golf Tournament. Aww. They raised over $250,000 for a grant created by Ashley. She partnered with Georgia Professional Golfers Association to establish the Gene Siller Memorial Grant. The goal of this grant was to teach young golfers to golf, young golfers that otherwise couldn't afford to play. Every dollar raised would go towards that. So that's pretty that's awesome. wonderful. Because let's be honest, golf is expensive. Yeah, your putters <laughs> or whatever they're called are a couple hundred bucks per Just playing stick, golf right? is expensive. I mean, 40, 50 bucks just to play a round of golf? Nobody, Not everybody can do that. That's crazy. Probably the most expensive sport, and I don't even think it's close. What, do you, do you have another one? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure there's more out there. But I was just thinking about, we probably spent that per competition plus travel expenses and hotels and stuff like that for gymnastics too. Plus we had to buy oh. our leotards, we had warm-ups, we had warm-up leotards. All the traveling, yeah. Grips, wristbands, tape, pre-wrap, braces. <laughs> All the tape probably. <laughs> Everything. That shit added up. Uh-huh. They had pro golfers, like, and you're not going to know the names, but... <laughs> Go ahead, it's fine. I'll just smile and nod. <laughs> Bryson DeChambeau, Ricky Fowler, and Jordan Spieth all donated bags for an auction. The Spieth one. You know Spieth? He has bags, right? 
No. Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> he donated bags. I thought he was on a golf bag or something. I don't think so. Well, never mind. Sorry, Good kids. Good try. And there are other items up for bid autographed by Tiger Woods and Jack Nicholas. Like, you know those. I know Tiger Woods. Jack Nichols. Nicholas. Nicholas. The Golden Bear. Well, if he had said Jack Nicholson, I'd be like, hell yeah. <laughs> One Pine Tree member named Brian Catrick talked about a time that he was paired with Gene Siller in a tournament. This particular day, Gene was struggling. He had hit a ball out of bounds, and Brian helped him search for the ball, and he found it for him. He noticed two names written on the golf ball. He asked Gene about it. Gene said, those are my son's names, with a big smile on his face. That really made an impact on me, said Brian. All the club members loved this guy. Wherever he was, people looked up to him and respected Gene. He was authentic, genuine, kind, and a friend to all. Gene loved to celebrate others' accomplishments and made the people around him comfortable and happy. He had the biggest heart. He made the people around him better just by knowing and loving him. Ashley said that Gene just had this ability to connect with kids, whether they were 5 or 15 years old. He wanted to make them better, I think in life, but also just in golf. My main mission in my life right now is to raise my two boys with Gene at the heart and center of everything we do and to make sure his legacy lives on forever. And that is the case of Gene Siller. To donate to the Gene Siller Memorial Grant, visit go.rallyup.com slash Georgia PGA Foundation. That's so unfortunate. At least he died in his favorite place doing what he loved, kind of. Kind of. I mean, that that's kind of like a positive look on that. Yeah. Yeah, I am very curious, though, how and why they ended up on the golf course. And it really was just sheer dumb luck that he was the one that rode out there. But at the same time, I'm sure based on his personality and everything said about him, because, you know, being a good guy, had that been, you know, the other guy in the office mm -hmm, or right. even or even like a, a caddy or some, you know, just some other person. What if that was somebody and their kid who went over there to see what was going on and, then, and a kid got shot, right. you know? Yeah, Gene was probably just going out there to say hey what's going on why is your any... truck on the green can <laughs> i help you help? move yeah. yeah it's oh crazy that is so uh, that's the biggest mystery to me is why they ended up there they drove 40 miles to a dead-end street bisected by the cart path leading from pine trees 10th green to its 11th tee so Unless, Unless they looked on their phone and saw a body of water there. That was the closest body of water to... And they're trying to drive the truck in it to hide the bodies and the truck because it wasn't his truck. Yeah. Unless, or the other guy, if he was in the truck, the one that was caught in South Carolina, mm -hmm. that maybe he was just a bad co-pilot navigator and was <laughs> like, turn here. And they're like, fuck, we're stuck. It's just I don't know. Crazy. But again, he... He shot three people. He killed three people. He had a moment to bury the gun or hide it, which 
I mean, he obviously can't claim like insanity or anything like that because you were obviously competent in your thinking. So it's like he had something. I'm sure it was with drugs. I'm sure it had to do with the drugs that he was either trying to steal the drugs from those guys, had a shitty deal going on, got frustrated, and they just ended up. But the fact that he hit the gun, he told somebody where it was to go get it. Innocent till proven guilty now. That's true, but he (laughs) guilty. Gotta remember that. But I'm very interested to see how this case Yeah, we'll have to do like the Google alert thing for when they do news on it. Because if they bring up his past um, charges and stuff, then they might use that against him, which will make him look even worse, and he would probably end up being found guilty with the death penalty. If the whole whole thing's going to be... Uh, recorded too. That'll be interesting because the yes. hearing was was video recorded. Hmm. It'll just. I'm, I'm interested to see what other information they got for us. Me too. And I'd like to see like because we can if do the an update later. Found the murder weapon. Could because uh, I assume they haven't released what type of Mm-mm. caliber and all that kind of nothing. stuff. Nothing yeah, yet. Nothing. Uh. Yeah, I just I want to know what the motive was mm-hmm. behind killing Pearson and Valdez. I mean, we know why he killed Gene Siller. Right. Witness. The last update was December 19th, 2022. Oh, okay. And that was Roden pleading not guilty. And then they had February 15th was the deadline to file motions in the case. And uh-huh. I hadn't seen anything else. And that's just been a week ago. Yeah. Yeah. Give or take week. Yeah. But it's really cool to see how strong Ashley was for her family after such a tragedy like that. When you were talking about them going on with their lives, it made me think that if something ever happened to you, heaven forbid, I I couldn't live in this house. We'd have to, the critters and I would uh-huh. have to go. There's no way I could live in the house that we were sharing. Right. Because that would just make me sad all the time. Definitely. Same. So I wonder if she moved them or did something to kind of like, you know, change perspective. and. Well, I know she was staying there because she realized how much Jean had done like yard work and stuff. And uh-huh. it, after like a month, she, she saw how fast the grass and stuff had grown <laughs> up really high. And she was like, oh, no, how am I going to get all this done? Oh, bless her heart. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure people at the club be like, well, I'll, I'll come help you out. I'm sure she had a lot of people helping her. Like her parents, Jean's parents, and all the friends at Pine Tree, I'm mm-hmm. sure they, they had her back. That's just sad. Very sad story. And those two boys. I love that he had their names on a, his golf ball. So if he did hit it somewhere, it's like, oh, I know that one's mine. Yeah. <laughs> I need, Found to, it. I need to do that. You can write uh, all of our critters' names on there. It wouldn't be a white ball anymore. It would just be black mush. That'd be a lot of work. I lose too many balls. Don't do that. You haven't played in a while either, have you? No. When was the last time you went golfing? Because I know it's been cold. August or September, I guess. Wow. Or October. <laughs> I don't know. Are you itching? Yeah. After doing all this research on it? Yeah. You ready? I'm ready. Well, we'll have to get your list out, go on a road trip. I'm down. A new golf course for my birthday? Yeah. Okay. 
Either that or we're going to go play top golf. Oh, that'll work too. It's not the same, but well, I would play with you if I don't roll my ankle coming out of a car. <laughs> yeah, that was unfortunate. God. We had driven, we were supposed to fly to Orlando and then our flight kept getting canceled because it was all fog. So we rented a car and we drove like 13 hours or so. I think that's how far it is. And I hated the fact that we literally, literally got outside of the airport. Sunny as can be. Right. No fog, no nothing. So it's like, damn it. But we got there and my back was already hurting. And then like we went to go play top golf and I fell out of his buddy Vore's truck because it's like (laughs) super lifted. So I had a shit back and shit ankle. So I was like, I'll just eat snacks here. Y'all go play. It's not even lifted. (laughs) Do you realize that I'm not the size of an adult? You forget. You're just clumsy. No. I got weak ankles. They roll. That much is true. Yes. Yeah, that's very unfortunate for his family. And I hope that we have updates soon. I thought I overheard uh, one of the defense's counsel saying she was pregnant, going on maternity leave. Was that one of his? That was the prosecutor. Prosecutor. Okay. She was supposed to be ready by December 13th of 2022. So that should be out of the way. She should oh, okay. be good to go. Yeah. Okay. I just heard that little bit. So hopefully, hopefully that trial will officially start soon. I don't know how, how all that works with the time in between uh, meeting with the judge and all that. So hopefully that'll come up when updates do occur. We will report back. We will keep them up to date because we are now invested, just like Jesse is now invested in this case because we're all here listening about it. And we'll either do it like uh, we'll get on here and do it or we'll do it like on Instagram or something. We'll figure it out. You'll see it when we know you guys will know. And we'll probably do the same thing if we have any other cases that are like similar like this with uh, court trials and things like that coming up. That'll be something the, fun. This is the first one that's actually like ongoing that we've right. done. We've always done cold cases or solved or unsolved that don't have anything else to continue on with. So this will be fun. Mm-hmm. I like continuations. Bet. Yeah. Cliffhangers, guys. That's what today was. It was a cliffhanger because we're waiting to hear what's going to happen next. But until later this week, which is a bonus episode, right? We're going to do casting our horror movie actors, like the different roles, right? Yes. So what we decided... So we got, we'll have like the virgin, the jock. Virgin slash final girl, I guess. Uh, yeah, you could yeah, say. yeah. Uh, what else? Killer, whore. <laughs> yeah, slut. Uh, <laughs> the slut. The brain, the jock, the, yeah. All, okay, all. that'll be really fun. And we'll drop that one on Thursday like normal. Then I am going to be back next week doing mine. So until Thursday, you guys, stay local, shop local, and murder local.